All right, here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you got it, say amen. amen. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned fate that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of, the sound, of a sound mind. I call your attention back to verse number 6 where Paul said these words to Timothy, to stir up the gift of God. To stir up the gift of God. With the Lord's help, I want to preach to you on being stirred up today. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the privilege of preaching your word. For now that it is my turn to stand here, I pray for your help. I pray for your special power. And Lord, I ask you that you might empty me of sin and self and pride and ego and vanity, the things so often in a preacher's way. Fill me with your spirit and pour me out to be a blessing. And as I speak to the ears of these people, Holy Spirit of God, may you speak to their hearts. We laugh, we enjoy time, we've had good fellowship, we've been preached to, we've been sung to. Your name has been elevated and glorified. And God, I pray in these moments that we have together around your word that you might stir us in a way that will last long past this meeting, long after the tent has been taken down and long after our names are forgotten. May our hearts and souls and ministries be stirred as a result of this preacher's delight meeting and that you might receive honor and glory for it. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think you would agree with me that we live in a day when God's people need to be stirred up. I think one of the purposes of this meeting certainly is to encourage preachers, but I think underlined it might also be this statement about the preacher's light. It's meant to stir us up, that we might be challenged, we might be provoked, if I could say it that way. The phrase that's found in verse number 6, stir up, carries the idea of rekindling a fire or a flame to revive a spark, to stir again the flame, to sort of like an evangelist that pokes that poker into the fire where there is only maybe smoldering coals and stirs it up just to get a flame going again, to keep the fire blazing. That's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. Now, I don't know whether uh, it's a fire or a spark or rekindling that you need, but I guarantee if you came to this meeting, God will give you what you want if you genuinely want some help. If you came here to criticize, you'll find something to criticize. If you came here to gripe and grumble, you'll find something. But if you came here to get a spark, if you came here to get a fire, if you came here to get encouraged, if you came here to get on fire for God, you'll get just what you came looking for. Paul said to Timothy, I want you to stir up the gift of God in you. And I want the gift of God stirred up in my life. We all need to be stirred up. But what stirs you? And we joke about it and we cut up about it, but sports stirs some of us. Recreation stirs us a little bit. Entertainment most certainly does. Maybe back home with my people, it's hunting and fishing. I mean, my goodness alive, with that rednecks, we got deer season almost a national holiday. We just hope the starting of it doesn't come on Sunday because they're going to find a way to be in the deer stand with the King James Bible. And I'm like, listen, I, if you are, at least, I'm not going to keep you from the deer stand, but you, would you please tithe on the deer and bring me one-tenth of the meat and we'll be fine. <laughs> what is it that stirs you up? A few years back, one of our men, in an attempt to be a soul winner, stopped by on the way to church 
and uh, on the journey there he picked up a hitchhiker. Now you got to be careful in this day and age about picking up hitchhikers, but he picked up one, and I'm perfectly fine for him to do that kind of soul winning. I'd rather not do it myself. And so he picked him up and brought him to church. It's a Sunday evening service, and so I'm preaching, and I'm thinking, you know, this is an opportunity to share the gospel with this strange vagabond, this fugitive, this transient there. And sure enough, I got up and I preached, and I thought it was a pretty good message. It came out of the sword of the Lord, so I felt like it's pretty good. And uh, if Shelton Smith will publish it, I ought to preach it. Amen. And so I preached, and as I gave the invitation, I did what every independent Baptist preacher in the world does. Let's all stand quietly, every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where that first originated, but we all say it real good, right in just perfect rhythm. And I said that everybody stood, every head bowed, every eye was closed. I asked for a raise of hands. This old vagabond in the back raised his hand that he was lost. And I said, if you need to be saved, why don't you come forward? Well, he did. He stepped out of the aisle in the old rags that he was in. His britches didn't quite fit right, and every step he took, his britches went down about three or four inches. He took another step, and they went down a little further. Another step. By the time he got to the second row, you could see his boxers. I'm telling you right now. Well, about that, I'm trying to get somebody's attention. Well, somebody, well I've already said every head bowed and every eye closed. And now I don't want to say, would somebody look up? Because if everybody looks up, somebody's going to get mooned in this service. We don't want that to happen. So I finally, the guy, the knucklehead, the idiot soul winner that brought him, I finally got his, I've never wanted to hit a member of my church with a hymn book anymore than I did because I'm trying to, like mentally through telepathy to get him, look up, you know, I'm thinking that, but he will not move. And finally, I just snapped my fingers and clapped a little bit, and he was the only one that looked up. And sure enough, I said, get him. I wasn't talking about get him saved. I'm talking about get his britches on and get him out of here. Long story short, we got his britches on him. But several people saw that as he was going out, and it stirred us up that night, no doubt about it. But he did get saved, so that's a good end to the story. We didn't buy him any more pants, but we got him a belt. <laughs> then Miss Piles, this dear lady in our church, she's been around for a long, long time. She was shout, I was, it was a Sunday morning I was preaching. We got stirred up that morning too. I thought I was preaching pretty good, and I heard her over here on my left. We've got three sections in our church like this, and she went, whoo! And I thought, man, this is good. I must be preaching good. If that old lady will say something. I preached a little bit further and pounded the pulpit. And she went, woo And she got just a little bit louder and a little bit more excited. And then finally, I just kind of backed up and went forward with a big one that I knew would get a good amen. And she stood up and hollered real loud, woo And I thought, man, this is great. And then I saw a rat run across the road. Whoa, guy. <laughs> but we got stirred up. Now, I don't know what it takes to stir you up. I want to talk about some things that I believe stirred Timothy up. And I hope it'll stir us up as we think about these. But it occurred to me, what, why did he need to be stirred up? Now, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Maybe Paul's just writing that because he knew that under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, Timothy wasn't the only one that was going to need to be told to be stirred up. We would need it in 2018 and everywhere in between. But perhaps maybe Timothy was a little discouraged. Maybe you came here discouraged and this meeting is going to stir you up. Maybe he was defeated, feeling like maybe he had never won any battles and would never win anymore. Maybe everybody had turned against him, family, friends, and well as his foes. But I believe with all of my heart that he understood that great truth, that when the Apostle Paul encouraged him to be stirred up, it would help him even in the defeated moments of life. There are going to be times of discouragement. Say amen right there. There's going to be times of defeat. You're not going to win every fight. You're not going to win every family. You're not going to win every discussion. You're not going to win every battle. But I guarantee you this much, if you'll stay stirred up, you can weather the storms. You can make it through the hard times and you can still be continuing on for God if you'll just stay stirred up. 
I don't know if he was depressed. I don't know if he was down. Maybe he was in denial. You've heard him say that. Denial is not just a river in Egypt. Beth, you'll get that later. Thank you very much. Maybe he was saying this much. It ain't going to happen to me. I'm going to make it. I'm not going to have down times. We're not going to have a low attendance. Everything that we ever plan is going to work out. Everything's going to work perfect. Mark this down. You make a big plan, you plan a big day, something's going to go wrong. Try to bring a whole lot in, have a big soul winning day, have a big revival, have any kind of big meeting and somewhere along the way, if you're doing something for God, I guarantee you the devil's going to get his hand and get his foot in the door and try and ruin it. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you and I just get stirred up, it'll help us make it through those dark moments. Three or four or five things, however long we got time for this morning. Number one, I would say this, that I think stirred Timothy was his own life. Look with me at verse number five. Notice these words that Paul wrote about him. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. You know what unfeigned means? Not faked. It's not put on. It's not phony. There's a reality to it. There's a genuineness to it. This is somebody who was not faking his religion, not faking his salvation. He was not hypocritical. He was not a counterfeit. I believe with all of my heart that your own personal testimony of when you got saved ought to still stir you. I don't care how long ago you got saved. I'm kind of like Brother Allison. You was telling last night about how you've told your people about your testimony. I think I've told mine to my children, my grandchildren and our church so much that they could probably tell it for me. Some of them can tell it better than I can. And I'm glad that I have a testimony that maybe stirs them. And if I were to tell you tonight, some of you that have never heard me, maybe my testimony would stir you, but that's not the point of the message. The point of the message is my testimony is supposed to stir me. If your salvation doesn't still stir you, something's wrong. When you remember back, maybe a song is sung, and it talks about that night. When the Lord touched you. And that don't stir you. Something's wrong. Somebody gets to preaching about salvation and you done got over yours. Something's wrong. A call is given to come to the altar and just thank God for saving you and keeping you out of hell. And that doesn't stir you. Something's wrong in our lives when our own personal testimony is more phony than it is real and we're not stirred by it anymore. Pretense will discourage you. I'm convinced that's a lot of reason that folks don't come back sometimes on Sunday night. They've been playing church so much on Sunday morning, they wore out. And then after Sunday, if they make Sunday night, they sure enough too tired to come to Wednesday night because they've been pretending. They've been faking. They have not been real. Now you can mark this down. Your peers know whether or not you're real or not. They know if you're a phony. One teenager can spot another one, etc. And often adults can spot others as well. Your leaders are never fooled. I've had people, you know, come up to me and they'll try to add a little bit of fluff to their, how's it going? And of course, we've got two or three in our church, you never want to ask that. How are you doing? Yeah, and you're there for 35 minutes listening to everything from constipation to God only knows what that you're going to listen to and you didn't want to hear any of it. But sometimes people are trying to put a little fluff on it and try and fool you. Oh, I'm doing good, preacher. Read my Bible through all, matter of fact, read the whole Bible last night. Yeah, yeah, sure you did, okay. Yeah. I prayed for every country in the world, prayed for all of our missionaries. I remember everyone, I memorized 25 verses, and you know that all they did was memorize John 11, 35, 25 times, that's all they did. What are you getting at, preacher? I'm getting at this. Timothy's own life stirred him. 
But what we've got today, I'm afraid, is a lot of put-ons, a lot of phonies, a lot of people that are not real. I guarantee you, if you're a fundamentalist, it brought it out in you this week, and if you ain't, you got mad. You didn't like something was said, you got your uh, feathers ruffled, you got your panties in a little bit of a wad, why don't you just pull them out and move on down the line and just get your heart right with God and stand for truth and quit worrying about it. Your own life, your own testimony, who you really are, ought to stir you. A number of years back, we, uh, I was just a teenager many moons ago, back in the 1880s, and uh, we went to a youth rally way across Georgia, the YMCA, a Baptist church there hosted, independent Baptist church hosted. We went there, and as we were gathered there in that special ceremony, they went around, and before we got started any of the games, had any of the food, they gave everybody, all of us teenagers, they gave us a piece of paper, a blank piece of paper, Dr. Farber. They gave us that and gave us a pencil. And they said, uh, what are we going to do with this? And a friend of mine was with me. He said, what are we going to do with this? I said, I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Maybe we're going to make paper airplanes and then throw pencils at each other. Who knows? You know, let's see if we can put out an eye. And uh, so in the process, they said, tell you what we want you to do. Take that piece of paper. We want all of you to write your testimony. Well, I had been saved very long, man. I pulled that pencil out and I went to write as fast as I could. My friend, his name was Roger. Roger just sat there and I said, Roger, get to write, man. He said, I can't. I said, why? He said, because I don't have a testimony. That was the point of the exercise, was to help those who knew Christ be able to write it and those who didn't know Christ be able to recognize it. But Roger was wrong in one way. He did have a testimony. His testimony was that he was lost. And he was moved that night. But I'm going to tell you right now, every time I think about my salvation, every time I think about how God reached down and saved a wretch like me, when we sing Amazing Grace, wretch is me. I don't focus as much on whosoever's in the Bible. I focus on some of those things where it talks about being the chief of sinners. You see, you don't know me. You just know the me that you see. You know the me that I show you, but you don't know the me that was lost and wicked. You don't know the me when I, down deep inside my heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Sometimes I don't even know me. But God saved a wicked sinner when he saved me. And it still stirs me to know that God saved me. Is your faith real enough to still stir you? Timothy's was. And Paul calls that to his attention. Number two, I would suggest to you from this passage that godly influence is sturdy. Right here in the passage, notice with me, first of all, the Apostle Paul. Now, it's one thing if I tell you to get stirred up. You can shake that off, walk away, and forget about it. But this is the Apostle Paul. This is not an ordinary man. This is a man who wrote over half of the New Testament. This is a man who truly the power of God was on. If anybody knew what it was to be filled, of the, full, filled with the Holy Ghost, it would be the Apostle Paul, a man genuinely on fire for God, used perhaps the greatest Christian we've ever known in Christendom is the Apostle Paul. And God used that man as a mentor, a spiritual father, a leader to help stir this young man up. Listen to me. All of us have been reminded last night through the messages, this morning through the teaching session, that we've got somebody to look back to and say, thank God for that man of God who stood on his, uh, in his own uh, stance and took a stand for God, had a backbone like a saw log and said, I'm going to stand for truth. And he passed that power, that authority. I, I just want to say that those guts. He passed down to another generation. They had the guts to stand. God help us to have the guts to stand. For our King James Bible, for soul winning, for reaching the lost, for the power of prayer, for asking God to do great things in our midst. Paul, this great leader, 
was one of the godly influences in their life, but I notice others. You see, it's not just about the godly men in their lives. He's mentioned his mama. And my mother died in 2010. 21 days later, my dad died. I was there by my mama's bed reading Psalm 23 to her when she passed from this life into glory. I was reading Psalm 23, and I'd get about halfway through, and then she just picked up and kept on quoting it. Now listen to me. When I get down, and I get depressed, and I get defeated, I don't think, I don't know the Apostle Paul, but I've got some mentors in my life, and that stirs me. But Dr. Farber, when I think back about Mama, and it's been, you know, eight and a half years now when she passed. But I think back to the influence she had on my life, and here's my thought right here. I've got to stay stirred up. I'm not going to let my mama down. And some of y'all got godly mothers that prayed for you and you still rebel. You got godly mothers that pray for you and you get the, uh, you know, the belly aching. You got godly mothers. And then he mentions also Grandma Lois. Oh my goodness alive. I can't think enough about the good influences God has put in my life. And when I get to feeling sorry for myself or I get down, I get depressed, I want to throw on the towel. I got to think back to those godly influences the Lord put in my life. Yes, they were great men, but they was my mama and my grandma. My mother's, I mean my father's mother, Granny Sellers, and she was about, I don't know, maybe five foot two and just a red-headed fireball. I'm talking, you just don't mess with her. Now, we, my grandparents were poor, but we weren't real poor. They had an outhouse, had a smokehouse, but the outhouse was a two-seater. So we were a little bit up on the scale, a two-seater. For those of you that don't know an outhouse, is that's not an outhouse. That's not an outhouse. An outhouse is just a shed with a board with a hole cut in it and a ditch underneath to catch rap music. I'm sorry. Shouldn't that have a C in front of it when you say rap music? But anyway. Well, I wouldn't have said that. That's why I'm up here and you're not. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it. But Granny had a two-seater. There's a big hole and there's a little hole. The big hole's for the adults and the little hole's for the kids. Well, what happened if the kids got on the big hole? <laughs> they fell in a lot of mess. That's what happened. People today talk about, I've heard people argue about it in churches, you know, that they'll uh, split the church over toilet paper, whether it's one ply or two ply. We've just been glad to have toilet paper. I mean, there was a reason there was a Sears and Roebuck catalog that was issued back in those days. And I do know, Brother Chitty, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You say, well, what happened when the catalog ran out? Well, you used some corn husk. Well, what happened when the corn husk wore out? <laughs> corn cob. Oh, that hurts just thinking about it, don't it? So what's that got to do with any of this? Well, I'm trying to keep some of y'all awake. But here's my point. My granny lived in a rough, rough, lived a rough life. She had running water. If you took the bucket and ran to the well and got some and ran back, that was the only running water she had. But my granny knew Jesus. And when I was a little boy just in elementary school and they started that stupid junk coming out about evolution and we were all coming from monkeys, I can remember my granny, she didn't have to quote any verses, she just said this, son, don't you ever forget, God created the heaven and the earth, and God made us, and God didn't make no monkeys out of us, he made us human beings. And that just, I'm just a little boy, 
I don't know anything. We don't go to church regularly, me and my mom and dad, but my granny knew the Lord. She went to church and she shared that great truth with me that just remember that God created. I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to give up what I believe. I'm not going to sacrifice my Bible and give up on the stands that I've taken. I'm not going to lay down the mantle and not ever bear it again because I don't just have a godly man. i got a mom and a grandma that I want to be true to. I want to stay stirred up because of what they are in my life. I cannot let them down. Who is it for you? I can't believe God would lay this message on my heart that some of you don't need to be reminded of some godly influence in your life. Now maybe for you it was a sister. Maybe it was a brother. Maybe a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe somebody that was just an influence in your life. Could I ask you to think about them for a moment and maybe just thinking about what they did might just stir you up. Maybe a phone call or a letter to them just to thank them for the influence they were. I called up recently a preacher friend of mine, 85 years of age. He now lives up in Tennessee near Chattanooga. I called him up and I said, Preacher, I just want to thank you. He thought I'd forgot him. I thought he'd forgot me. But Brother Marty, I called him up and I said, Brother Jimmy's his name. I said, Brother Jimmy, I just want to thank you for the influence you were on my life. And Brother Harper, I ain't talked to him in, I don't know, five years. And I just got to telling him about how much I loved him and I appreciated him. And I thank God for him with a, just a teenage boy that nobody cared about. And he gave me his time. He took me visiting with him. He'd take me to a fellowship meeting, all those things. And I just got started talking. And I wasn't tearing up until I began to re rehearse the influence that he was on my life. And the more things I named, the more I just started crying. And I said, just thank you. I don't want to let you down. I want us to be stirred up for God. When I hung that phone up, I went inside and I kept just crying and sat behind my desk. And Brother Mike, I was stirred because of a godly influence. Let me give you number three. Holy living stirred him. Look with me in chapter two of this book has been mentioned by Brother Greg this morning. He calls some attention to it, particularly in verse number four. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him, please him who hath chosen him to be a, a soldier. Something that stirs me is I want to live a holy life. I want to be stirred by living right. Not only this, but I want the desire in my own heart to be stirred. I want to clean my life up. I don't come to these meetings thinking I've arrived. And if you did, you have not arrived, okay? Nobody has arrived yet. we still got things we've got to work on. We still battle those three great enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And by the time you think your flesh is dead, it will rear its ugly head. About the time you think the world's not going to bother you anymore, it will. And about the time you think the devil has left you alone, he will come back and will walk right in the front door of the church and give you all kind of pain and misery. We are not over those things yet. I desire holy living in my life. I'm not as clean in my thought life as I want to be. I'm not as clean in my language as I want to be. I'm not as clean in the service of my Lord like I want to be. But I also get stirred by seeing holy living in other people. Never will forget this Mr. Rogers, not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. This is another one. I was out soul winning and I went by and knocked on the door. Well, actually, the screen, the door was open. I knocked on the screen door and I could see and there a lady was cooking pork chops. Well, I couldn't tell for sure what she was cooking until I smelled it. And when I smelled it, I said, man. And I'm out soul winning on a Tuesday night. I think I'd get invited in here, Brother Tom. It'd be real nice. Just fellowship a while, eat some pork chops. Well, she said, just a minute. And she sent her husband to the door. Mr. Rogers came and opened the door and I introduced myself to him and I said, you got a few minutes? He said, well, my wife's fixing supper and I thought the next thing was going to be, you want to stay? And I was ready for the answer, but he said, she's fixing supper, but I, 
I got a few minutes. So I said, now I got a chance to share the gospel, not to eat a pork chop. So I had him sit down on the front porch, and in a few moments, I led him to Christ. But here's the, here's the thing that stirred me. We knelt there on that front porch, him in front of his rocking chair, and me in front of the double swing, and he asked Christ to come in his heart and be his Savior. When he got up from praying, he hadn't quite got off his knees yet, and he reached in his back pocket, and he had a big pack of red man chewing tobacco. And he pulled that, and he said, here, preacher, I won't need this anymore. That stirs me to see a man get up and already he wants to clean something up. But what bothered me is, why did he give it to me? I don't need it anymore, preacher, but you do. I don't know if y'all ever had this happen, but sometimes you preach on something like smoking and folks come down to the altar and leave their cigarettes on the altar. Well, Jesus doesn't smoke. Why don't y'all leave them here? My wife's drinking, but she ain't smoking yet, so keep them to yourself. But does it stir you? Gentlemen that are pastors or those of you that are youth workers or Sunday school teacher, to see God do a holy work in somebody's life, to see them begin to clean up. Maybe they mentioned to you they gave up this kind of music. They stopped going to these places. They just decided to start. All of a sudden they come to church and they're not in their flip-flops and their tank top and their shorts. But they actually walk into church and they got a decent suit on. And maybe, you know, back at our place, you know, it's like this much too long past their hand. They're borrowing their great-granddaddy's suit or one's real short, you know, and it's all pulled up. And they look like Clem Cadillahopper off a of red skeleton and the britches are, you know, uh, up to a half calf, you know, and they walk in, but they're just as proud as they can be, you know, walking in. And you just rejoice about it. Now, I don't know about, maybe that doesn't do anything for you. You just look at it and say, oh, they're a bunch of goobers, you know, you can't, what in the world? But I look at it and say, you know, they're trying, they're making progress, they're growing. It stirs me on the inside. Timothy was told to flee youthful lust to avoid worldliness and troublemakers. The bottom line is a little phrase like we used at camp with some of our teenagers this past year. There's just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. And that's exactly what it comes to in our own lives when we want to be holy. Whether we desire that ourselves or we want to see it in somebody else, we want holy living to stir us. Let me give you real quickly another one here, and that is the Scripture sturdy. We, if you take 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy together, we won't go back and chase the verses down. But I would submit to you that if you'd look back, you'd find that he's told in chapter number 4 of 1 Timothy about how he ought to give attention to reading. I don't think that meant reading the emerging church leaders. I don't think that meant reading Time magazine. I don't think that meant read every bit of junk that you can find on the Internet because you know if it's on the Internet, it's got to be true. That's not what he meant. I think he meant the reading of the Word of God. Good books are good, but there's nothing that'll ever beat the living Word of Almighty God. You know what I've found that it's easy to do as a preacher? To study the Bible and get ready to preach as opposed to reading the Word of God for your own personal devotion. Could I challenge you and stir you just a little bit this morning and say I'd hope you'd go home from this meeting stirred up to just read your Bible. Last year we had a challenge in the month of February, which was our Bible focus month, for our people to read through the New Testament in 30 days. 30 days read through the New Testament. Can I say this to you? That changed our people. That stirred us. It didn't just affect me. I'm going to do it. I have to do it. I'm required to do it. I've got to get something ready to preach. But I need the Word of God just to be read. I need to run it through me, like even like water through a sifter, that it might clean me. Are you not appalled at men in the ministry of many years' experience that fall into deep, immoral sin? 
How in the world can a man that can shell out the Word of God can get up and preach and run the aisle and shout? How can he fall into that? Because he doesn't keep up his own individual, personal, devotional, Bible-reading life. This is real for us and needs to be. We need to be stirred to read. The Scriptures will stir us when they're read and studied. The Scriptures will stir us when they're preached. That's why you need to be in preaching. You need to be in church. You need to listen to the man of God. You need to be there at revival time. You need to be there whenever the Scriptures are open. When anybody stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord, you need to be there because the Word of God, the Scriptures being preached to you will stir you like nothing else will. When they're taught, etc. I'm just saying this much. It's one thing to grab your Bible and go to church. It's another thing for your Bible to grab you. When you read a scripture and it reaches out and latches onto you. A few years back, my assistant had been through a tough time in his life. Probably been about 15 years ago now. His family was in turmoil. It looked like there was pretty much not, uh, not a whole lot of future ahead for him. In many days, I watched him be a little bit under the weather. He came to my office one day all excited, Brother Greg. And, I said, what in the world? Brother Earl is his name. I said, Brother Earl, what in the world's up? He said, he said, I'm thrilled. He said, God gave me a word from the scriptures today. And I'm like, okay, you're a nut. I mean, you're getting a little bit weird on me now. What, what was that word? You know, a word from the word. What was that? And he said, tomorrow. Well, the first thing hit me was Proverbs 27, 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And I said that to him. He said, oh, no, you don't understand. He said, that's when we say tomorrow. When we say tomorrow, we're bragging about it. He said, but when God said tomorrow to me, and he gave me a verse, he said, when God said tomorrow, it meant this, I have a tomorrow. And it had stirred him up, depressed, defeated, ready to throw in the towel. Somebody grab those. Anyway, when those things happen, I'm just saying this much. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it very much. They're not important whatsoever. But what happened was he got stirred. Just by reading the Word of God, it found a deep, settled place in Him. And I want to find one in you. Let me give you the final thing. Getting busy for God. Getting busy for God will do something. I'm going to close with this. I believe if you'll read the rest of 2 Timothy, you'll find out, especially when you get over there to chapter number 3, about continuing. He didn't just mean get started. He meant keep on going. I believe Timothy was busy, but he needed to be busier. He needed to do more for God. Let's, hey, now's not the time to dial it back. Now's not the time to pull back the reins and say, whoa, we don't need to do it anymore. Now's time to fire it up, to ramp things up, to go forward, to get more done for God because we don't have much more time. We are living in those last days. I think it's important. When you read chapter 4, he talks about preach the word, endure hardness, watch, do. These are action things that he needs to be involved in. I think it's Paul saying this. This will stir you up if you just get busy. When you get busy, you're less critical. When you get busy, you notice the need. When you get busy, you want to see more done, more accomplished. You want to involve other people. I want to get this done, but I need some help. Let's get more done. I'll close with this. There were two Texans. They stopped by a restaurant. And as they sat down there, they ordered coffee. And after ordering the coffee, the waitress came over to them. I said, can I help you with anything else? And she stood there and watched before they said anything as one of the guys took out of his coffee cup, he took all the sugars that were there. He poured one in, another in, another in, another until he put about 10 or 12 sugars in his coffee. And he looked at her and said, ma'am, I believe we're going to need some more sugar. And she said, listen, bud, you're not getting any more sugar till you stir what you got. Can I say to you this morning, we're not going to get anything else from God till we stir what we've got.
Stir up the gift of God which is in you. Stir up, be stirred up. Go back, stirred up, and stir somebody else up when you get home to win souls and get the lost into the family of God before it is too late.